It's six o'clock, and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, July 29th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. COVID-19 dominates tonight's California report. Public health officials are now recommending that everyone wear masks indoors, regardless of vaccination status. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we'll listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. On this week's segment, Jamal Walker talks about the desire to provide ways for Nevada County to have conversations, even with varying perceptions. He co-founded Can We Talk NC as a YouTube channel. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Following in the footsteps of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, California public health officials are recommending that everyone wear masks indoors, regardless of their vaccination status. In a statement, the state's Department of Public Health says that because of the highly contagious variant, hospitalizations are on the rise across the state, and wearing a mask indoors can help slow the spread of COVID-19. This comes a day after the CDC recommended indoor masking in communities where transmission of the virus is considered significant or high. That would have included more than 90% of California's population. Several cities and counties in California had already implemented their own masking indoor rules and recommendations. And Google will require its employees who return to the company's offices to be vaccinated. The Mountain View-based tech giant is also pushing back its official return to the office date for employees from September to mid-October. KQED's Rachel Myro has more from our Silicon Valley desk. The spread of the Delta variant has sparked a number of Silicon Valley firms to reassess plans to bring more staff back to brick-and-mortar offices by summer's end. In an internal note to employees, Google CEO Sundar Pichai wrote the vaccine mandate would apply to U.S. offices in the coming weeks, months for other parts of the world. Facebook told KQED it will also require anyone working at its U.S. campuses to be vaccinated. Intel is sticking to a face mask requirement until further notice. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And Twitter, which reopened its San Francisco and New York offices two weeks ago, has closed them down again because of the surge in new coronavirus cases. The company had required employees to show proof of vaccination before returning to the office. And Governor Gavin Newsom is facing pushback over his mandate that all state employees and healthcare workers either provide proof of vaccination from COVID or undergo regular testing for the virus. SEIU Local 1000 President Richard Lewis Brown tweeted that he has sent a letter to the State Department of Human Resources formally objecting to the mandate. It marks the first known union objection to the new rules, as several others have voiced their support this week. SEIU Local 1000 represents about 100,000 state employees. Brown took office last month and has frequently criticized the governor, particularly over pay cuts Newsom and the legislature demanded of state workers last year. For his part, the governor has said the vaccination mandate is well within his authority. 
With COVID-19 cases surging once again, conversations are intensifying around those who remain unvaccinated. But a Bay Area physician and community health advocate says the answer is not that simple. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Dr. Rhea Boyd, a pediatrician and public health advocate in the Bay Area. We first asked Dr. Boyd about some of the misconceptions about people who are unvaccinated. I think one of the major misconceptions is that using a term like the unvaccinated describes a single kind of monolithic group of people, that everyone in that group is in that group for similar reasons, that most of those reasons are self-focused or selfish in nature or ideological, that the parts of the country that are in that group are well-known, that the age groups that are in that group are well-known, and it misses the enormous diversity that actually exists among folks who have yet to be vaccinated. We've heard President Biden say it, we've heard Governor Newsom say it, that this is now a pandemic for the unvaccinated. Does that just lead to further mistrust for those people who haven't gotten their shots yet? More than that, I think it isolates the unvaccinated outside of the purview of our societal concern. It says that you're in that group because you don't care or because you're being selfish. It ignores the fact that everyone under age 12 is in that group. It ignores the fact that even some folks who have gotten a vaccine may not have had the immune response that they need for full protection. Here I'm talking about folks who have serious immunocompromised conditions, right? Not everybody who is vaccinated is now just immune from being affected by the pandemic. And so what's wrong with that language is that it vilifies folks in a group for which some folks have no choice but to be in that group because they're not eligible yet based on their age for vaccination. And it makes it that much harder for us to acknowledge, even for folks who are vaccinated right now, that they also need to take precautions, that the pandemic doesn't just end because you got a vaccine. You've worked with community groups from across the country. Why are you hopeful that some of these people that haven't been vaccinated yet will finally decide to get their shots? What gives me hope is when we have these talks and these calls with folks in their community, in their church setting, we're able to hear people's vulnerability. We're able to hear the real reasons why they're actually worried or afraid or have legitimate concerns about their underlying medical conditions and whether or not they're a good candidate for the vaccine. Once we can hear those worries and concretely address them with them, people express to us that they are more interested in vaccination. So I feel hopeful because I know that from our experience, actually just sitting with people right where they are, answering their questions, being kind of open to their vulnerabilities, gives them space to say, okay, this does look like the right choice for me. And I think in a way that only makes sense, right? That what will work most for people is not just shouting from the rooftops that you should get vaccinated, but sometimes sitting quietly with somebody to say, hey, tell me what's still concerning you. And let me tell you why now is the most important moment to be vaccinated during this pandemic. Dr. Rhea Boyd is a pediatrician and public health advocate in the Bay Area. Dr. Boyd, thanks so much for your time this morning. Oh, of course. Thanks again for having me. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about healthcare on the web at chcf.org/voices. 
Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And that is the California Report for Thursday, July 29th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks for listening and have a great day. The city of Grass Valley today announced in a media release that on Wednesday, August 4th at 7 p.m., the city of Grass Valley's city council will conduct a special meeting to review and discuss three design concepts for the Mill Street Project. The city's consultant, Atlas Lab Incorporated, will be presenting three design concepts at that meeting. In addition to receiving direction from the city council to determine a preferred design concept, the city is seeking public input. Community members are encouraged to submit comments to public at cityofgrassvalley.com or by calling 530-274-4390. Community members are able to review and comment on the three project design concepts via the Mill Street Project website. That's millstreet.mysocialpinpoint.com forward slash concepts. Taking a look at regional weather in Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, Mostly cloudy with a low around 73. Friday will be partly sunny and hot with a high near 98. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m. Then mostly cloudy with a low around 55. Friday, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11, otherwise partly sunny with a high near 83. And for our listeners in the Valley, Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 69 degrees. Friday will be mostly sunny and hot with a high near 102. Now it's time for Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, Jamal Walker talks about the desire to provide ways for Nevada County to have conversations, even with varying perceptions. I'm Christina Abkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. Now on to the needs of the shelter for this week are blankets and sheets, twin size, new pillows, bottled water, bras, all sizes, men's underwear, boxers, sizes medium, large, and extra large, women's underwear sizes small, medium, and large, shampoo and conditioner travel size, men's and women's deodorant, duffel bags and backpacks, 
please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place located in the Brunswick Basin past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. We jump right in with part two of Jamal Walker talking about the new community relations coordinator position he holds. Fast forward to basically last year, right before COVID hit, the George Floyd case was huge. And I had several people in the community actually calling me and asking me, hey, you know, what can we do? And so I approached our chief of police, Alex Gamelgaard, with a proposition and said, hey, I'd like to be able to do more work on not just this issue, but this is the hot issue right now. And I'd like to be able to do that in a more official capacity. And so what do you think about creating a position to do this? And he thought it was a good idea and thought it was timely. He did the work that he needed to do with um, the city to make that happen. And so here we are. Mm. Um, Wow. You spent a lot of time building your reputation in the community, if you will. You know, people really see who you are. And that's an interesting story, too, I'm sure. You know, I mean, I wonder how you chose Grass Valley to come to as a black man, Mm -hmm. because that was one of the first things I noted here when I arrived is the lack of diversity. Yeah. So what exactly does the community services coordinator do? Well, it is a position that essentially is still under construction, just as everything about life today, not just in Grass Valley, but in the world, is in a state of flux. Our intention at the beginning was to listen to the community and find out what are the the issues that the community wants to bring focus and clarity to, and how do we respond to that. So a lot of my work thus far has been meeting with individuals and groups to have discussions about What are the problems that you're seeing? To give an example, early on, upon the heels of the George Floyd case, we were meeting with members of the local BLM uh, movement here. We were also meeting with members of uh, Back the Blue to get their ideas and their position on things with hopes of trying to bring the groups together for conversation to talk about what do we have in common. I have a foundational belief, just as a human being, that we have far more in common with each other than we have indifference. But with all of the ways that social media and the media at large portrays the different issues that we're dealing with, I believe, I'm speaking solely as myself, as a human being, as Jamal Walker, that they're very divisive uh, uh, and and meant to, to keep us separate, keep us fighting against each other, believing that we're further apart in our commonality than we actually are. As I am 
growing into this position. My focus has uh, been from the beginning to provide a way for us to have conversations that allows for us to see what our commonality is. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the ways that we're doing that right now is through a podcast that I've created with a a dear friend of mine uh, called Can We Really Talk NC. NC stands for Nevada County. And that is our, the name of our YouTube channel, actually. So anybody can go and check that out on YouTube. Once again, it's Can We Really Talk NC. We have created a container within that format to set the stage for people to be able to have positive conversations, meaningful conversation about these very complex issues that we're dealing with in our society today, with the focus of it being uh, working with people in our community, people in Nevada County. One of the first things that we did on that podcast is to deal with the issue of community policing and defunding of the police and talking about what do all those things really mean and what does it look like. And that will be an ongoing series as well. And there's a lot of uh, ways that some of the other issues that we'll be talking about, including talking about homelessness, how they all intersect Mm -hmm. with with policing, community policing, and what are some of the issues around defunding the police? What are people really talking about? So even in talking about the homeless issues, that's interwoven with what the police are doing and how the police also partner with other agencies within the community to effectively change the way we do things. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk. Observations from a Working Poet As many of you know, I've written quite a lot of three-minute essays for KVMR. Anytime you practice something diligently, you get better at it, and maybe even so used to it that you can't imagine changing. I'm not changing these essays, but I did have occasion last week to write something a lot longer, and it nearly drove me around the bend. I read it aloud to an audience on Friday night, and it took 16 entire minutes. Long pieces require that you have more to say, and likely more than one angle to say it from. I had to think about logic, chronology, building an argument but not being boring, postponing the reveal, and taking out a lot of filler that had snuck in when I was trying to sound smart and or be funny. Luckily, I had a role model and coach editing the thing, steering me straight when called for and cheering me on. I think we worked on eight drafts, though I told someone it was 18, just to emphasize the difficulty and get praise for my endurance. They say you become a better tennis player when you're up against someone more experienced, and this is true of having a good editor, too. I got a crash course in streamlining sentences and moving paragraphs around, not to mention getting rid of entire trains of thought I was quite fond of, and in one case, quote, shouting, unquote, something instead of just saying it. Although the content of the piece was emotional, I was able to shape it with dispassion, even fascination. Now we will have to see if any editors would like to publish it. My brain is still sore from the workout it got. 
Over the years, I've learned that complacency is not my friend. I need to keep learning and being a beginner, or I get too set in my ways. I like being a hemi-semi-demi-famous poet and radio commentator in this county. Don't get me wrong. But I want to follow Joni Mitchell's lead and do new things, even if people aren't sure they like the changes. So I dabble in oil painting and start elaborate sewing projects that are fun and definitely keep me humble. And now I have ventured into long-form writing. At one point I was in a rut, writing a certain kind of beautiful nature poem and unable to break out of it. For a month I made myself write every day about asphalt, the back entrances of restaurants and how awful they smelled, septic tanks, roadkill, anything I could think of that wasn't obviously lovely. It worked. I finally managed to get excited about writing again and go in some new directions. Last week's 2,700-word essay is definitely not my usual style. I have no idea what I'll write next, but my brain is cruising in wider circles now, and that feels good. I've always felt like a smart enough person, but I've never had any confidence I could articulate things that are complicated. Maybe it's time to try harder. Part of why I love to write is that you get to surprise yourself. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That concludes our newscast. Our thanks go out to Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR, F-O-U-R, pawsac.com. Coming up at 6.30 on Making Contact, we'll hear from gun and mental health communities about last year's panic buying and what they're doing to help prevent gun violence and suicides in the wake of surging national gun sales. At 7 p.m., as is our custom, we bring you Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Stay safe. Thank you.